Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott, joined by Dean and Mike. Mike, this is your first time on the podcast. Welcome to the show. And Dean, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I'm honored to be here for a fourth edition of some Disney discussion. Disney discussion. Lots of news going on, including some major, major breaking news that I guess we all found out about an hour ago or so which I guess will be our lead-off story. But before we get to that, I always like to ask you both, and whoever's on the podcast when we begin, how are we all doing? How are we holding up? Everybody doing all right? Uh, doing fine. Uh, we get through day by day, and looking forward to hopefully getting out of this soon. Mike, I know you're a big baseball fan. What is it that you miss the most about baseball right now? Probably watching an actual live game as opposed to these MLB, the show replays that I've been watching on a daily basis. Yeah. You're, you're missing out, Mike. Five o'clock in the morning, ESPN, a couple times a week, KBL. You get, I, I've, hit, I've hit the replay occasionally or caught the end of it, but you know, you I, get, I would say you know, watching some Yankee baseball would be good for the soul. Well, no, no yeah. question, but if you want some good bat flips, uh, good commentary, it looks like baseball. I mean, you could do worse. Well, I miss, I miss it too. This is a rough time. I mean, there is some sports stuff happening, which we'll talk about a little bit later tonight, but this coming weekend, we have golf. We have the uh, RBC tournament from Hilton Head, and we have the Belmont Stakes on Saturday, which is something. That's better oh, than nothing. I forgot nothing, about I that. Yeah, yeah, Belmont Stakes on Saturday. That's exciting. Yeah, I'll be watching that. And I, I, gonna, they may yeah. simulate traffic on the uh, New York highways just to, to make it feel like Belmont Stakes is going on. That's true. It's interesting. I was watching the Premier League because soccer's back in England, and they had the first couple of games yesterday. And I had it on the TV, and I heard crowd noise. And I thought to myself, well, maybe there are people there but socially distancing. But then – there was a notification that came on the TV that said, if you want to watch the game without the fake crowd noise, go to the <laughs> NBC Sports app and you can watch it on That's there. That's funny. There were some people in the audience, though, right near the, uh, the the players, right near the clubs, and they were socially distancing. But it's so weird to watch any sports without an audience. And I think that when the NBA comes back and NHL and hopefully MLB – to watch it with no sport, with no fans in the stands is going to be weird. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I watch baseball, I love looking at who's sitting behind home plate. Like I'm just like I'm fascinated by that. It's not going to sound like the right sport. I mean, it's not going to sound like baseball without the crowd noise in the yeah. background. And if you're the uh, the stadium organist, do you still play? Oh, good question. By the way, K- KBL, you you get stuffed animals in the stands at one of the. Uh, I've seen that. One of the fields, and uh, they have dancers or cheerleaders, which we're not used to seeing in baseball. So. No. That's interesting. I do. I knew about the stuffed animals. I didn't know about the cheerleaders. Well, Dean, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. You know, it's Good. been another another busy week uh, for me and for Disney News, and. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting the, uh, you know, the the news breaks and uh, I see it on Twitter before I see it in my inbox. Right. So it's uh, I, I don't even think I need the official uh, travel agent notifications anymore. I'm just going to wait till Twitter breaks it for me. Yeah, and um, along those lines, Dean, why don't you take us through the uh, leadoff story tonight? Uh, what broke about, like I said, an hour ago or so? Why don't you take us through that? Yeah. So uh, fun, fun 
you know, design of the show. Scott's like, hey, you want to come back on? There's some news going on. I said, sure. Uh, unfortunately, Paulie couldn't join us. Uh, happy to have uh, Mike pinch hit here and, and jump on. And we said, uh, you know, let's talk about some of the news stories. And then all of a sudden, as we're talking about this, I, I think I joked with you, Scott. I said, uh, I wonder what other news can break in the next three hours before we actually record. Right. And then, boom, we get a we get a, a big news drop that uh, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party will not be coming back this year. Yeah. And you know, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago, and we said, what's it going to look like? Because a lot of the items that they did not uh, want to tackle in the parks, things like the big groups that congregate for fireworks, that congregate for parades, all the cool character meet and greets, those are the things that aren't coming back right now. And we said, well, if you're going to be doing a hard ticket event and you're going to pay for this extra fee to get in the park, it's more than just smaller crowds. It's really these special events and, and special items within the special event that we go to the parties for. So I, Disney Brass must have come together and said, you know, we're, we can't offer fireworks. We can't offer parades. We can't offer character meet and greets. Sounds like we can't offer Mickey's Not So Scary. And uh, I appreciate them breaking this news in June for a decision that really impacts a party that's focused in September and October mm-hmm. um, because it allows for better vacation planning. Um, but it, it, of course, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this, but my already past that topic leading question is what is this going to mean for the Christmas party? So, you know, TBD on that one, but you know, what was your first reaction when you, you saw that the uh, Halloween party is not going to take place in 2020? Mike, go ahead. Yeah. I had thought that this could have been the area where they started to space people out and perhaps perform a parade or show fireworks, space people throughout the park where they would mark it out. But perhaps they had sold too many tickets to the Halloween party at this point that they looked at the numbers and said, we can't move these many, this group, this many people throughout the park. Right. Yeah. For- I think that's very true. It's it's very hard if a lot of tickets have been sold to for social distancing at an event like this. I have gone to Mickey's Not So Scary now, maybe three of the past four years, and it's a very busy, crowded event. I was before this whole pandemic started. I was planning on going back in October, like I do every year for a Halloween weekend, where I do Mickey's Not So Scary and Halloween Horror Nights over at Universal, and my brother, my friend, and I, we had made the decision we're not going to go this year. Even with that being said, when I saw that the party was canceled, even though I kind of felt it would happen, it still left me feeling very sad. It's one of those moments that I think we've all experienced during this whole corona situation where it hits you, oh, man, this is this is such a, uh, a rough time for the world. And to see the party officially be canceled, it makes you recognize that. Um so it's tough, tough in that sense. It's a great I think it's event. It's also tough because it, it, it acknowledges the extension of the coronavirus impact. Right. You know, we thought we thought it was definitely a, a wintertime thing, and it was going to you know, hang around through the spring. And you know, there was some speculation. I never really believed it that with warm weather, this thing would subside. And this is this is a company that already sold tickets, that already collected income, that really doesn't want to lose more revenue, making a decision to not. Think about how many parties they have and how much money that's worth them. And they're not going to host that for safety. Right. That is just another stark reminder, uh, another you know slap in the face of, hey, this is real. This is impacting you know our lives. This is impacting corporations. This is this is something that companies are 
uh, trying to be responsible about, and it it's going to impact all the way through the fall and maybe through the winter and, and into right. next year. So kind of a sobering little reminder that we're not going to have uh, we didn't have a normal winter. We're not going to have a normal spring. Uh, summer is going to be impacted, and now this is going to carry on. We're not going to have a normal fall either. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the indefinite nature of it. And at the same time, all of this is occurring while in the news, we see cases rising in Florida. And it's interesting to note rising in Arizona and Texas, too. All of these are warm weather states. But uh, it, it just makes you wonder, without before Disney theme parks are even open, the cases are rising. And I've started to see some chatter on Twitter about whether or not the theme parks are going to be able to proceed with the opening as they have intended. I don't, I don't know. I really don't, don't have any thoughts on that. I mean, we, I think we mentioned it on the last news show, and uh, the consensus was that the theme parks would follow what the state's recommendations are. But it's a rough time right now. It's definitely a rough time. Um, Nadine, you've been to the Halloween party before, right? Oh, yeah, I've been a couple times. Yeah. It's, it's crowded. I mean, it's, it's something that it used to be if you got yourselves tickets to like a early September Halloween party or a midweek party in, in late September, early October, you'd get that good feel of like really empty crowds and walk on Space Mountain and all that kind of stuff. Right. It's really taken off in popularity that it is. It used to be you'd sell out like Halloween Day, maybe a couple before that. They sell out pretty consistently now. Uh, not every party, of course, but um, they sell out quite a bit. So it's it's a very popular thing. This is impacting a lot of people. Uh, a lot of tickets being uh, refunded, or I don't know. I haven't heard of the the full policy yet and how they're doing that. But um, yeah, it's it's a good time. It's uh, it's fun to dress up. You know, we always like to do theme costumes when we're up here. So we certainly did theme costumes when we were down there. Last time we did the Halloween party, we dressed up as Toy Story characters. So I was Buzz. Yeah. My my son was Woody. My wife was Jesse. It was a lot of fun. Right now, Mike, uh, you mentioned before we went on the air tonight, you you weren't going to go to the Halloween party, but you were. At least, and you still have a trip planned for the Christmas party. I have, a, I do have a tri- pl- trip planned for Christmas week it, during the holiday week, probably after the party. But you know, I guess let me ask this question: with the Halloween party being canceled, but the Christmas party still being in play, they probably don't want to roll those people from the Halloween into the Christmas party because the last thing they want to do is sell too many tickets to the Christmas party. Right. Dean, as a travel agent, when do those when do those tickets typically go on sale for Christmas party? Um, don't remember the date off the top of my head. I'd be surprised if in a normal year they wouldn't already be available. Okay. Uh, I think you're you're just not going to be able to predict it based on past practice. I think it's going to be something where they're going to have to wait and have a lot more information before they create another scenario where they start selling tickets to something that they can't actually fulfill. Yeah. So while I think you'd normally be able to to have the dates out and plan it right now, you're probably still, you know, I couldn't even put a realistic time frame on when I think they would roll that out, but I bet you're still months away from them being able to make that decision. Mm-hmm. But it's not too late. They they haven't already sold the thing out to to the point of that they have to cancel it because they can't walk it back. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be. Um, I I. F- I want to say tickets did go on sale at some point. Uh, I can look that up for you if you you know we can, we can get get real facts. I, I mean, Scott, you want to be a factual podcast, right? So uh, <laughs> yes, uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll pull that information. I really don't remember what you know. In prior years, I feel like they would have been for sale by now, and I, yeah. I 
And now I'm having faint memory that maybe they did go on sale this year, and I really can't remember. So let me mm-hmm. look it up because I, uh, I can pull that info. But um, it's a good point. If they already had tickets on sale, I wonder if they're, you know, if they're going to have to start rolling those back. And uh, if they haven't, I'm not yeah. surprised that they wouldn't roll it out yet. The uh, question I have as well is in terms of the Halloween Horror Nights over at Universal, normally by this point in the year, all of the Halloween experiences have been announced, or at least most of them have. And I wonder, with nothing being formally announced yet this year, and now you have Disney canceling their Halloween event, what is Universal's response going to be? It would not surprise me if they cancel the event too, even though it's a major moneymaker for them. It's just as crowded as Mickey's Not So Scary. It's a very different... Halloween experience than the Halloween party, but uh, it draws tremendous, tremendous crowds, and it wouldn't surprise me if they're not capable of hold if they choose not to hold that event, and they're not even capable of holding that event the way they normally do. I think the fallout from this Disney announcement about the Halloween parties can be very interesting to watch. So we'll have to see how this plays out. Um, any other thoughts on the Halloween party before we turn to our next story, gentlemen? So. No, just a quick comment. I am seeing that they, back in April, they released dates and preliminary pricing discussion. And mm-hmm. uh, then it doesn't, I don't see any notification that tickets actually went on sale. Dean, in your experience as a travel agent, what type of bookings have you seen for the fall? Uh, I had a handful that were canceled recently. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I see that a lot of people are doing a lot of wait and see, and there's a lot of frustration about what offers Disney gave to some people that got auto canceled versus what they're not making available to people who want to proactively postpone. So right. it's just a lot of frustration and a lot of discussion right now. Um, so most folks that I have that regularly book with us that are perennial fall trips are on hold right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a lot of us that are Disney addicts, if you will, that want to get back down there. So we want to find a way to, to make a long weekend or justify a trip or, you know, have it on the books that I can cancel later type type of attitude. So it's um, I, I get a lot of conversations with folks that are just struggling with it right now. They right. want to go. I want to go. Um, but they're just not in a position yet where they feel comfortable to go. Or, you know, they're worried about a health-compromised family member or friend that they normally travel with, and they don't want to put them in a, a tough position of having to make that call. So right. I think from from our experience, from what I've seen with our agency, uh, bookings have to be down by now. You know, and, and obviously the summer was particularly tough, and, and, you know, we may talk about Disneyland in a little while, but Disneyland is feeling the same thing. Um, and, and we're feeling that with our Disneyland bookings. So it's, uh, it's, it's rough right now. I, I think... You'll start to see a little bit uh, more commitment from people as they get a little bit better understanding of what Florida is going to look like in the fall. Right. And, you know, knowing about the cancellation of the party, I think, is going to impact some travel. Finding out what they're going to do with the Christmas party impacts travel. Um, you know, it's it's just 2020 is not even half over, and I think we're all ready for it to be over. So uh, we're just going to chalk it up to a, a really, really bad year in the travel industry across yeah. the board and, and focus on folks that are ready to travel towards the end of this year and then certainly getting people back out there in 2021. Yeah, you know, with this whole coronavirus situation, I was saying to my wife the other day, it's hard to plan two weeks ahead, let alone two months. Like, I, I have no idea what the world's going to be like two weeks from now. It's it's literally day by day. It's like you're going through 
each day, one day at a time. Yeah. And I still say the month of March took about 75 days to complete. <laughs> That's true. Mar- March was crazy. Uh, one more comment on the Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. In the Parks blog, uh, talk about breaking news. They put out the comment that uh, they're monitoring and the new environment closely. We'll make a decision on the events as we continue to learn more from government and health officials. Goal is to explore every option, look at ways in which we can still host events and festivals full of Disney magic while operating responsibly with the health and safety of our guests and cast members in mind. So pretty mm-hmm. consistent with what we speculated. It's We're not canceling it just yet, but we're not going to move forward with it just yet. It's kind of a wait and see. It's interesting. It's very interesting. And we'll see how it plays out. And uh, along those lines of what was announced tonight, uh, Disney also made the announcement. So when Epcot reopens on July 15th, the Food and Wine Festival will, beginning, will be beginning that same day. Uh, it's going to be, that's a surprise. I didn't see that one coming yet. And normally that coincides with the Halloween events in the fall. So now since that's not happening, I guess they moved it up. And it does sound like it's going to be a modified event. Uh, they're not going to have any concerts there. The Eat to the Beat concert series is not taking place. Uh, it sounds to me like they're going to have less food locations there. Uh, I haven't seen this information yet, but you know sometimes they do those seminars or uh, you know demonstrations and things like that. I didn't see any note on whether or not those would still be taking place. Yeah, that's right. I My guess is no. In this announcement here, I'm seeing that Disney will have over 20 signature global marketplaces there, which sounds like a lot, but normally I believe there are many more than that. So I suspect these food locations are going to be spaced out very, very significantly around the park. Uh, they announced that there's going to be a new topiary of Remy and the France Pavilion, which would have lined up with the Ratatouille attraction that was supposed to have opened this summer. And it's um, still May then. What's that? And it's still May at that point. It's still May. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that's the Food and Wine Festival. Now, uh, Mike, since you haven't been there in the fall, have you not been to Food and Wine? or I have been to Food and Wine once, uh, probably about 10 or 15 years ago. I will say that I thought this announcement was interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, it, it spreads out the possible food and wine crowd. You know, not that you really needed more than 75 days, but now you have the better part of four months to attend food and wine. So right. can, they, can they spread out the weekend crowds, especially the weekend crowds, you know, to, to come earlier in the summer and not need to come back several times as it get as more crowds would tend to fill in in September, October? Mm-hmm. Second, it gives Epcot a play to be your park reservation of choice. If this park reservation system, which I thought we could be seeing that tonight, but we didn't, if mm-hmm. that appears tomorrow or the next day or or whenever that you know Dean's travel agent system needs to break, that <laughs> you know, that Ep- and you're only allowed to select one park per day originally. This gives Epcot another reason to be your park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though it had become limited in terms of everything that was closed exactly. now that it's here. Yeah, it, it is another reason to give that park priority. Um, it also allows them to keep more restaurants closed because they'll have more outdoor eating. Yes. It's going to be a lot of people. One thing just occurred to me, just picturing crowds at the Food and Wine Festival – it's going to be a lot of people not wearing masks for periods of time while they're eating. That's, That's true. another thing. 
it wouldn't shock me. I mean, let's hope this doesn't happen because I think if this were to happen, it would mean the numbers are skyrocketing. But is there a possibility that they may cancel the food and wine festival altogether? There certainly is. I mean, that, yeah. I think in, in this environment with day-to-day news breaking, it's possible everything they're planning today is by tomorrow. And everything they thought they were going to plan for tomorrow is postponed for two weeks. So it's uh, it's the the only it's thing that unfortunate matters scenario, to, yeah, but it's possible. The uh, only thing that matters to me is to know that the NBA players will have access to a food and wine festival. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> I want to make sure that they are having a great time. And and did you see the ring that they're getting? By the way, I thought yeah, this was did. a joke. Yeah. So for our listeners, apparently the NBA players are going to be wearing a. Corona—I I don't know what you call it. It's like a coronavirus sensor ring that will be able to detect in advance of a diagnosis if you're displaying internal symptoms that uh, could indicate you have the coronavirus. And somebody pointed out on Twitter, and I think it was very appropriate. They—they're not giving essential workers this ring, but they give it to the NBA players, which was—it's <laughs> true. Uh, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm presuming the NBA is. Fronting the the research cost? and funding and yeah. or at least the cost and the purchase of these rings, yeah. Um, and you know, for James Harden, it's the only way he's getting a ring. So it's 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 a good <laughs> thing. We just lost James Harden as a guest on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, at least he's getting a ring, much like the Knicks have for the last twenty years. They have no shot at these rings. Yeah, the, the Knicks are probably thinking tonight they couldn't even get one of these rings. Not only are they not getting an NBA championship ring anytime soon, they're not even getting a ring that's being made available to the overwhelming majority of teams in the league. <laughs> so, Steph Curry's not getting this ring either, so it's it's uh, true. That is true. But yeah, this food and wine festival announcement is is pretty interesting, and I think we'll have to see what happens with this festival as July fifteenth comes closer. Yeah. Um, I have concerns about it just from a practical perspective in terms of how the event would operate. Um, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, and uh, Mike, something else that you mentioned a, a couple minutes ago, which we should also mention here, Disney has previously announced that they're going to have this park reservation system. Uh, we've talked about it here before on the podcast in previous episodes, where if you're going to the th- if you're going to Disney World, just having a hotel reservation doesn't mean you're getting into a park. You need to have a park reservation. There are rumors floating around. I don't think anything's been officially confirmed that Walt Disney World will be maintaining that reservation system all the way through the end of 2021. Um, again, it's a rumor. Nothing's been confirmed. But for me, picturing a world where I was hoping to maybe return to the parks in 2021, now I'm thinking, oh, am I going to have to deal with this park reservation system? Could affect planning. Is it something, though, Scott, that they might want in their back pocket for the 50th anniversary? Mm. You know, because say, like, just say this works and even say that we get a version that allows you to eventually pick windows in the day and have multiple parks so they can continue to sell park hoppers. Right. Continue to fund that. And you're picking, much like a lot of us do, an 8, an 8 a.m. window in one park and a four to, you know, or five to and park close in another park. Right. They can space people out. This may not be the worst thing in the world as long as there are enough reservations to go around. It may just be another functionality similar to like FastPass Plus, where you're sort of putting tent poles in the ground for your day, mm-hmm. and and then and working around that. And now think about it rolling into the fiftieth. 
maybe this is something that you know you want to set up just in case crowds look like they're going to be that heavy and you don't have to go into holiday mode where you're going into park closures for, right you know that day because oh my god somehow this got away from us again i didn't realize it was a holiday yeah, that's a very good point, Mike. And I could easily see a scenario in the 50th anniversary year, let's say the coronavirus is done and we're not dealing with it anymore, that the overwhelming majority of guests traveling to Disney for the 50th anniversary are going to want to spend time at the Magic Kingdom, mm-hmm. perhaps on multiple occasions. Yeah. Having this park reservation system in place would help mitigate the crowds and make them more manageable. Um, I could see it working that way through the end of 2021. Um, Dean, what's your thoughts on this? You know, it's interesting because we're also wrapped up in the Disney bubble. I, I got to imagine Disney's going to blitz us with marketing uh, and let people know that it's their 50th anniversary. But otherwise, I think there's a, just a big group of people out there that are going to say, oh, that's interesting and, and not actually want to plan vacations. Like, unless they're planning on going anyway, if, if they're in our circle, we all want to get down there for the 50th. And so um, being able to guarantee a spot in the Magic Kingdom on the 50th would be nice. I, I like the idea of the reservation system for that. Uh, I don't think on a regular basis the parks are going to suddenly be overwhelmed in 2021. October 1st, 2021, they're going to be overwhelmed. That yeah. That's going to be a, a big day. That's a day you'd love to have a reservation system and, and, yes. and be able to get in there. Um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what the promotion is going to be and how that does impact crowds. Because, you know, think about back to like Year of a Million Dreams. That was something where you can go any time during the year and you get to experience what the special theme was for the year. And then a few, you know, a few years after that, they had that limited time magic, and it was kind of like hit or miss. It's like, oh, I'm going during the week where we're going to have special character meets. That's awesome. And then you're like talking to a friend who's like, oh, I'm going during the week where they're going to have a special cupcake. So that one was kind of like a hit or miss uh, theme for the year. Uh, and then you have still other ones that the theme for the year is just kind of like better signage. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping they're going all out for the 50th. I hope it's something really cool, but I hope it's something that is not just concentrated in a particular day, week, or month. I hope it's something we can really celebrate for the typical 18 months that a Disney year takes up. Let's hope that in 2021, the economy is under control, that there's no major uh, issues there. I was watching earlier today a YouTube video from Disney Food Blog, and it was all about things to expect in Disney in 2021. And one of the things they talked about were, what are the offers going to be, Dean, like you just mentioned? Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a big speculation point headed into next year because on on one hand, I understand what you're saying, Dean. You know, a lot of people may not really care about the fact it's the 50th, like we would care. Uh, but at the same time, will there be? How should I say this? There may still be enough interest where Disney normally wouldn't necessarily have to offer a lot of discounts, but maybe they will now, depending on the state of the economy. Yeah, and and that'll be the interesting part is what. What do they put out there as a draw? Is it a, a really awesome theme? Is there some sort of a, a giveaway? Is there just great discounts? Is it really just pulling back on nostalgia of, hey, 2020 was so horrible. We're th- hopefully, let's fingers crossed, we're through coronavirus, and let's get back to celebrating with our family. Let's get back to some normalcy. And then the other question I have is, what impact does today's environment have on when they start that theme. So would they have otherwise started the the celebration of the 50th 
sometime this October and mm-hmm. rolled it out for a whole year of celebration. And maybe that gets pushed back now. Maybe they're not going to start that celebration until next October. And so we're celebrating the 50th from 2021 into 2022. Uh, yeah. I think all that's TBD. My instinct would be that it's the latter one, Dean, that it will start 2021 and into 2022 because of the uncertainty surrounding the virus and not knowing what the status of the parks is going to be later this year. That's my instinct. Um, and, and it makes sense. And then the other thing that Disney has to manage to is investor expectations. Mm-hmm. And with their fiscal year being a mid-year uh, run like they do, um, with September 30th year end, it'll be curious to see if they're doing anything to try to get some money captured. Uh, they've had a terrible uh, second quarter. They had a terrible third quarter. And so their fourth quarter will be starting up. And let's see if they're doing anything to try to generate revenue July, August, and September. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to get too uh, financially, uh, you know, down that rabbit hole because you'll get me talking for a while. <laughs> so the uh, the economics of it though do fascinate me, especially the refund components. Oh man, <laughs> they used they used your money for some interest accrual before they gave it back to you. <laughs> All right, to dance around the edge of the rabbit hole without going down it. It was interesting that while ticket sales were supposedly suspended, annual passes were still available to buy. Like you could still go on and buy APs now. And that is a cash influx for the company because the APs that you could buy are not the Florida monthly APs. They're the, I'll take a thousand dollars, please, APs. And you wonder if the incentive that we could see next year, and only, you know, hoping I'm a little bit correct, is that maybe to pump some cash in, we could see some discounts on on APs. We had gotten one a few years ago through DVC that basically gave you a platinum plus pass for the price of a a Florida resident gold pass. Mm. So you were two levels up, you know, know, upgraded at cost, if you're willing to put it out. And again, that pumped a lot of $600 at a time into the into the Disney coffers. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, and I, I don't remember that. That was a DVC exclusive. That was a DVC exclusive. I want to say it was Scott. It was probably like October of seventeen for the yeah, fiscal year. That's about three years ago. That, yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. Hmm. I've been thinking about the annual pass situation because I am an annual pass holder based on how much I'm in the Orlando area. I have an annual pass to Disney and Universal. And I'm not getting my, certainly not getting my money's worth this year. Um, and, and so, Scott, what would you rather see your your next annual pass discounted by twenty five percent, or have them give you fifteen months for the price of twelve? I would. So those, are, those are probably the two ways they design it, right? If they're going to do yeah. something in that realm. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you and tell you that my instinct was going to be my my pass was due to expire, I think, late summer. Maybe even when I was on my trip, Dean, that that we had booked this summer. And I was, now that the virus is going on, I was planning on not even renewing anytime soon. It's a personal, again, this is a very personal decision, and each person's going to have their own take on it. But until I know that I'm going to be able to go to the park and get my money's worth from an annual pass, I was going to hold off on getting it. But as a concept, what would I rather have? I like the 15 months for the price of 12. In, in a normal scenario, if the world was normal and we, I was going with the frequency that I had been going, that was something that uh, Universal actually offered. Uh, and it was, it was very nice to purchase an annual pass and to know that you had more than a year 
where you could enjoy the benefits of that annual pass. Uh, but both of those are enticing options. There's no doubt about it. So I've given you a uh, an answer, but walked it back by t- saying both of them are good choices. <laughs> it's like you're a lawyer. Dean, I'll say as, as someone who times his annual pass to go late July, then early July, the 25% is, is you know, for, so for whatever a group does it that way, the discount's much more valuable than the extra three months. True. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's part of why I phrase it that way, because the three of us live, you know, anywhere from 900 to 1,100 miles away from Walt Disney World. And so we're more likely, well, at least I'm, Scott's down there a little bit more than, than we are. I'm more likely to time an annual pass the way you described, where it's, can I get two of my, you know, what's typically a week or a little longer family trips out of one pass? Yeah. And if I'm Disney, I, I have to think about where my annual pass sales come from. Obviously, a lot of them are going to be Florida residents. And so does the discount work better for them or do, does the extended time period work better for them? But for folks like us, it really just comes down to how you vacation. Right. Because uh, agreed, if I renew in July, getting August, September and October included where two and a half of those three months are school time, we're right. not going to be able to use them anyway. It's, that's true. That's true. And the only reason for me, I guess, it would work out is because I'm down there for work pretty yeah. frequently. So, um, out of curiosity, in your guys' experience, just we're all from the Northeast. Do you, other than us and some of our friends on Twitter, do you know a lot of people from the Northeast that are annual pass holders? Some. I had some some coworkers in my last uh, my last job that were pretty big Disney fans, and so they. Uh, they were, you know, like us, tr- doing the family trip and then trying to work the business trip into the Disney stop and, you know, anything they could do to get their hands on, a, on some Disney time. So right. I definitely knew some people, not a ton. Uh, the, the majority of Walt Disney World uh, travelers in a given year are first timers. And I know we're all surrounded by the, the frequent guests, so we don't think of it that way. But, yeah. you know, the last statistic I saw I heard on that was like nearly 70 percent or just over 70 percent are actually first-time guests on a year-over-year basis. So when you think about locals making up part of that other 30%, and then you think about the majority of the people being first-timers, there's not a lot of not left that are not you know regional or farther away repeat visitors in a given year. So my mm-hmm. guess is there's not that many annual pass holders outside of Florida. All right, so what of that... God, this not, the numbers on this are great. You know, so say we make up 15% of it, how much of that 15% is made by DVC members who do go back frequently within the year, who do get a discount on the annual pass? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, especially given how many more DVC points they keep putting into the calendar, there's <laughs> just more and more DVC members out there. Although, uh, I don't know a statistic on this because I'm not that well-versed in the, the metrics of DVC, but I do know a lot of the folks that I know that are DVC owners are multiple contract people. Which yeah. I find fascinating. And so, just to play out what that means, you're talking about they have multiple DVC contracts, right? So you, you know, you, you think about all the points that keep getting introduced, and they just talked about one of the things that are going to get that's going to get sacrificed because of the delay in construction was a potential new DVC resort that was going to go where River Country used to be, yeah. And that's going to be at least backburnered, if not scrapped. And I mean, just, I can't imagine introducing that many more points into the DVC calendar when they still have so many more to sell that are still in inventory. But right. a lot of people, let's say you own 150 points at Beach Club Villas, 
they're willing to go and buy another 50, 100-point contract at the latest resort because it gives them multiple home resorts. Yep. So they can do a little bit different travel schedule and, and travel planning. So I, I know a lot of folks that are DVC, and a good subset of those people are actually owners at more than one resort. Yeah, same. I'm, that's that's me. I'm definitely one of those that group. And part of it is to own at other resorts, but really primarily the Polynesian point contracts that we bought were to extend our membership because our beach club membership would end in 2042 whereas our, the Polynesian extends us for another almost 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great point, too. It'll be interesting to see if some of the other resorts do what, um, what uh, oh, who was the first one to roll it out? I'm trying to remember now. They did an extension on the contract. Key West. Old Key it was West. Old Key West, right? That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah they went from, I think, 42 to 57, you know, 2042 to 2057. So they offered a 15-year extension, and I don't know which uh, which resorts will be up next for that, but that'll be interesting to see there's if they start another doing possible, that. Yeah, there's another possible cash flush without putting more points in, but putting more cash into the system. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, for our next news story, I wanted to mention something fun. You know, we 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 started talking tonight about the cancellation about of Mickey's Not So Scary, and that's a that's a sad news story. But this is a story that re- really fascinated me and fascinated all the rest of the sports and Disney fans out there. And these are announcements that were made in connections with the NBA coming back and coming to Walt Disney World. They announced what hotels the teams are going to be staying at. And before we get to those, I want to take our listeners through the perks that the NBA players are going to have (laughs) while at Disney World. And this is apparently there's a massive brochure that came out, which sets forth all these perks. In terms of the hotel amenities, there's going to be players-only lounge, which will feature video games, TVs. There will be pool tables, barbers, manicurists, and pedicurists. They're going to have a 24-hour VIP concierge service. Daily entertainment, which will include movie screenings, DJ sets, video games, as I mentioned, ping pong, pool and lawn games. And players can attend other games from the league. So right off the bat... They're going to have a better Disney World vacation <laughs> than any of us have ever had, <laughs> right, right off the bat. Uh, then that they, just sounds like staying at the boardwalk to me. That Those yeah. are all typical boardwalk perks. Yes. Club, club level. <laughs> club level boardwalk. Now I'm bringing up on my computer the hotels that the teams are going to be staying at. Here we go. Yeah, be, before you do, Scott, yeah. I, don't, I mean, this is a very obvious statement I'm going to make, but it popped in my head as you were talking about this. Sometimes I forget that NBA players are typically 20 to 28 years old. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that play into their 30s and there's some teenagers. But like, think about 20 to 30-year-olds having like a, a really long run at Walt Disney World. That sounds fantastic. Yes, it does. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, sometimes I think of, of professional athletes and I forget the fact that they are, you know, just ju- that just out of college type age group. And that's a fantastic time to have month, two months, however long your stay is to be down at Walt Disney World. Now, I know it's going to be in a different environment and it's technically work for them, but like, yeah. what a cool notion. Like, hey, there's a bunch of 25-year-olds running around Walt Disney World right now. Yeah, and along those lines, something that wasn't in the announcement that I was just reading from, but I, I seem to recall seeing that players are also going to have the opportunity to go to at least, I, I think Animal Kingdom was the park I saw mentioned after hours. It's going to be closed down for them on occasion and they're going to have access to renting out restaurants so they'll be able to let's just say rent out the boathouse after hours and get together which is awesome 
Yeah, I could definitely see it with anything that would be uh, After Hours, Moonlight Magic, hey, you know, Disney After Dark, whatever those packages were. 10, you know, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. You'll have the NBA players running, running through it, through the park at those hours. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, and Mike, you know, you uh, tweeted us yesterday the announcement that it looks like there's going to be a documentary crew on hand filming all this. That was fantastic. I I want a Lopez Brothers cam. I definitely <laughs> want this. I I need a Zion cam. You know, Zion strutting around with his little waddle around, around Disney world would be fantastic. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it, this really is a fascinating concept. And the Lopez brothers, a lot of people are just finding out about this now. I think we've known about it for years now, which is that they are obsessed with Disney and Walt Disney world. They are, they are, they could join us on the podcast any week and know more than we know. It's uh, they, they really know their stuff when it comes to Disney World. And Robin Lopez in particular had this whole Twitter feed the other night in which he was, I guess, taking an NBA team and stating which Disney attraction they would fit best at. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And it really reflected a deep knowledge of the theme parks and the park's history. He's, he's a big fan, um, which I think is awesome. I really think that's very cool. Uh, now along the lines of the NBA, these are the hotels that the teams are going to be staying at. And I'll take us through this really quickly at the grand destino over at Coronado Springs. You have the top tier. That's the bucks, the Lakers, Raptors, Clippers, Celtics, Nuggets, jazz, and heat. Then you have the grand Floridian, the thunder 76ers rockets. There's James Harden for you. Pacers, Mavericks, Nets, Knicks. No, no, I'm kidding about that. Grizzlies and the Magic. And then you have the Yacht Club, the worst hotel, just based on team rankings here. Blazers, Kings, Pelicans. By the way, I just realized there, Kings and Pelicans at the same hotel. Amy should go too. She should have an invite. Bonkers, huh? Spurs, Suns, and Wizards. Now, without a doubt, the thing that got the most attention here among Disney fans is the fact, according, I guess, to the NBA, they are ranking Grand Destino higher than Grand Floridian. So, gentlemen, what I wanted to ask you both tonight is what's your reaction to that? And is there any world – and I love Grand Destino. I stayed there in January this year. Love it. Absolutely love it. Is there any world in which you think Grand Destino may be preferable as a destination compared to the Grand Floridian? I think there is. And I think it's the world where you own Walt Disney World and you want to start turning your resorts back over to your guests and you're trying to keep the NBA players confined. Yeah. So I think what you're seeing is they they are comfortable. The, the Walt Disney World Resort decision makers are comfortable tying up Grand Destino the longest. And you will find that the players that are – if you're staying at uh, at one of the other resorts, if you're a Grand Floridian but your team makes it further into the tournament – Right. You're going to get moved to Grand Destino. Right. So it, it, while it's fun to speculate and joke about, you know, the, the Knicks will be out on 192 <laughs> and, you know, wherever else should be staying and, you know, seven footers at all-star sports, the, the real answer there is they're trying to – they have to use multiple resorts to start because they have so many teams and so many players, entourage and, and staffers and all that kind of stuff coming down. But ultimately their goal is to confine the NBA to two and then really just one resort longer term right. and grand destino is the one they want to use up. Right. 
Mike, your take on this. Same as Dean, it's pretty much manipulated to get everyone eventually to Grand Casino. I thought that it doesn't hurt them to show off three resorts, especially resorts that are that have convention centers to them uh, in a bigger light to, to get a little shine on. While we all think of Grand Floridian as this you know, Disney's uh, legacy resort, whatever word, uh, flagship resort. The flagship, probably, yeah. Yeah, it's probably the more accurate word. It It's not that updated you know it definitely has an older feel and i think putting the nba players in it does give it a little bit of a, a different shine the yacht club has always been you know almost like the forgotten child of the deluxe resorts you know even though the best people i know stay there that one's for you Gene. um and i think that you know giving the yacht club a little notice too doesn't hurt it. And then they sure. quickly, quickly move everybody where they want them to be, which is in, in Coronado. And Mike, along those lines, when this announcement came out, some of the photos that were released on Twitter were beautiful. They showcased these hotels in such a great way where if you were not familiar with Disney and these hotels, yeah. you see these photos and they're, they're breathtakingly beautiful. A couple other comments, but Dean, just a question, because I, as I mentioned a second ago, I love Grand Destino. I thought it was tremendous. Are you seeing that hotel, in terms of your bookings, increase in popularity in recent months? Even though I, I know can, we're, not, we're not booking a ton now, just everything else I can actually tell you, I have I have zero bookings at Grand Destino. Mm-hmm. My, some other agents might. Right. I have not placed anyone there. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just not first in mind. What I find with a lot of repeat guests... And a lot of the folks that I book are repeat guests. Um, they have their favorites. Right. And so it's kind of like picking a Disney restaurant. It's like, okay, I'm going to go down there for seven nights. Problem is I already have 11 favorite restaurants I want to go to, and there's new stuff to try. Right. <laughs> so you have to cut somewhere. And I think people do the same thing with the resort. It's like, I'd love to go back, but you know, every year I take my family, I, I stay at the beach club and I don't want to miss the beach club experience or, you know, I, my family love, not me personally, but you know, people will say my family loves art of animation, that food court, that pool. We're happy to just go back there and, and have the space in the suite. Right. So I, I think unless folks start asking for the recommendations or, you know, they strike up conversation about what's, what's new, what, what should I try? It's just not front of mind. I think for a lot of people, and, and that may be, if you think about the three resorts they're using, right? Grand Destino, Yacht Club, Grand Floridian. Again, I don't have current metrics on this, but there was a time in fairly recent years, those would have been, well, not Grand Destino, but the other two would have been among the lowest uh, capacity filled. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of folks booking at Yacht Club, not a lot of folks booking at Grand Floridian on a relative basis. You know, There are other resorts, French Quarter, for example, that just sell out all the time. It's partly because it's so small, but right. it might be in, you know, they're, they're, they're already at 95, 98, hundred percent capacity. Polynesian is usually high capacity. Contemporary goes yeah. to high capacity. Yacht club, not so much. Uh, mm-hmm. Grand Floridian, not so much. Well, I, I've never stayed at the Grand Floridian. I've stayed at Grand Destino and the Yacht Club, but I've seen a lot of footage of Grand Floridian rooms. And I can tell you just based on my observation that at the Grand Destino, the rooms are bigger, absolutely more modern. And the cost is probably half, half maybe even more <laughs> some days. Now, of course, the Grand Floridian is the flagship hotel. It's on the monorail. It's now got a walkway that's going to be attached to the Magic Kingdom. So 
uh, there are absolute perks to being there. And I've spent a lot of time there and I love it. I mean, it's a gorgeous hotel, good restaurants, beautiful location, but, um, the rooms are good size among the, the, uh, deluxe resort. The rooms are, are good size rooms. Mm-hmm. They aren't as modern. Like you're right about that. You know, folks always claim about the stuffy feel. You know, it's very Victorian as you walk through, but the rooms, the play areas, the pools, the, it's just as loud, just as noisy, just as many kids. Um, right. We honeymooned there, which is, you know, 153 years ago now, but uh, we've stayed there. God, was that my, actually, that might be my only stay there. I'm trying to remember now. We, we've stayed there maybe one more time. I can't remember. Uh, mostly it's a cost driven factor for us, but I'll tell you, we love the Grand Floridian. Yeah. The, re- the restaurants are among the best on property. Um, mm hmm. The, the right. rooms are good size, and uh, and you can't beat that. You know, go outside your resort, and you're watching the fireworks. You got the you got the one stop to get to the Magic Kingdom in the morning. Like, it, it, think about that whole loop. There's fantastic places to go shop and eat and see things and do things. So, uh, Grand Floridian's a great place to stay. But um, again, it's it's just historically has not been among the highest in capacity because the price point is very high, and some people are put off by the feel. Hmm. So, guys, if somebody said to you, I'm going to give you a free trip, seven nights, you choose the hotel, Yacob, Grand Floridian, or Grand Destino, where do you go? For me, I'm going sure. to Grand Floridian. Mm-hmm. Going Mike? to Grand Floridian for a lot of the reasons I just said, um, but mostly because you're paying. <laughs> right. I probably go in Grand Floridian only because I spend so much time at the beach club that the yacht's probably not as necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I do like the Yacht Club. Yeah, these are all good hotels. I mean, great hotels. I shouldn't say good. They're great hotels. My instinct is Grand Floridian just because I've never stayed there. I've always wanted to. And someone else is paying for it. And you can't beat that opportunity. Uh, but I can make an argument for Grand Destino. It's modern. It's brand new. It's a fun hotel with nice grounds and good restaurants on that property. Uh, and then the Yacht Club location, pool. Scott, let's say yeah. you were paying for it, but, but but Grand Floridian's having a nice sale in the bounce back world of post-coronavirus. So, you know, taking the free nature out of it, now you're actually on the hook for it. Does that change your answer? So let's, let's take a scenario then where I have to pay for it and all the hotels are comparably priced for whatever, however right, that right. played out. Because I do think that the notion of, hey, you're not even paying for it, it's like, well, if I didn't like it, I didn't care. It wasn't my money. But let's say this is your family vacation now. So, mm-hmm. you know, Mike, you've been to Yacht Club. Well, you've been to Beach Club a bunch of times, which is yeah. basically Yacht Club except gray instead of blue. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, d- does your answer change when it's actually your family's vacation? You're making a real decision now and not just the hypothetical, uh, you know, it's it's money's not an object. I think that if the price was comparable, I would choose the Grand Floridian because for me, one of the things that has always kind of prevented me from going there has been the cost. Yeah. And um, to have it be in the same range is something I don't think I'd – that's a, a rare opportunity. That that never really happens. So all things being equal price-wise, I probably would choose the Grand Floridian because it's also the only one of those hotels I've not stayed at. Um and I like to stay at as many Disney hotels as possible just to get the full experience. Good question. Uh, how about you guys? Dean? Uh, no, for me, I'd still pick the Grand Floridian. Uh, have, I've stayed at Yacht Club. 
I've stayed at Grand Flow. I have not stayed at Grand Destino. Uh, I think that's just kind of on my I'll get there eventually list. Um, but it's it's been a while since I stayed at the Grand Floridian, and I like I said, it's I think all things being equal, it's it. it my, my favorite Disney resort is probably the one I'm staying at next, but uh, I, I could I could make a case in my own head that the Grand Floridian is actually my favorite resort. Yeah, yeah, Mike? I think yeah. I mean, both the Grand Floridian and the Yacht have so much value to Disney fans, to families that are planning park days. The easy accessibility to you know for the Yacht Club, it's two parks. For the Grand Floridian, it's at least one park. You know, plus monorail access, then eventually into Epcot as well. For these NBA players, Grand Destino is probably a better location for them. Dean is, like you said, they're 20 and 28 year olds who aren't going to the park during the day. You know, mm-hmm. it's probably a more modern hotel and a better setup for them to be at Grand Destino. No, that's a good point. And the funny thing is that you know we think of Grand Floridian as being a, a fantastic resort, and for Disney terms, it is. But the places that these guys are staying, that the amenities and and the location, the design, usually, it's just completely different than a, mm-hmm. a Disney resort. So it'd be kind of funny to, you know, get the shot of LeBron and Mickey ears and you know <laughs> Anthony Davis going down Splash Mountain, it, which leads to a different question. We always worry about height restrictions. Like for our kids, are they tall enough to go on the rides? Are there any rides where the NBA guys are too tall to ride? Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm I, I don't know the answer this. to that. You know, so Stormalong Bay is not open to the Beach Club Villas upon opening on June 22nd. The NBA is staying. Those eight teams are whatever collection six teams are staying at the Yacht Club. Are they getting Stormalong Bay? And if so, you know, can I get like how much of the Duke 2015 to Duke 2019 roster can I get all in <laughs> Stormalong Bay at one time? You know, between the Kings. And the Pelicans, I have a very big Blue Devil contingent that we can have a nice little Stormer Long Bay party. I'm, I'm just very concerned about, like, uh, Space Mountain for, for like, uh, Taco Fall or somebody, you know, so, so, someone who's, like, you know, 7'5". I, I get scared going through some Space Mountain. I feel like I have to duck, sure. and I'm only 6'2". <laughs> so <laughs> if I was a foot taller, I, I don't know. I, I still um, I, I need more research on this to know if there's any uh, maximum height or allowances for certain rides. Would you rather go to the theme parks with Robin Lopez or LeBron James? Oh, I'd much rather go with Robin Lopez. Yeah, I think, I think, we, I think we'd have a blast LeBron. talking about Disney yeah. history. And other than his height would make him stand out, but I don't think he would get mobbed. I, going with LeBron on a normal park day would not be fun. Sure. It's like what happens. He'd have his own plaid, though. <laughs> well, Dean, when you go to the parks, you get mobbed, right? You know, uh, it's, it's, I'm probably second to Phil Donahue among celebrities I know that I've seen at the parks. <laughs> second time Phil Donahue's been mentioned on Stuff We Love podcast, by the way. That's great. <laughs> uh, but no, this NBA story is great. It's going to be fascinating when that comes back and Major League Soccer comes back. I mean, this reality show documentary that would hopefully come out to me is – I, I think I'm going to give it a uh, an Emmy, an Oscar, without even having seen it. Just the concept is great. Um, what channel's going to carry it? Do you think it'll be NBA TV, or are we going to get like ESPN access? Oh, it's ESPN. ESPN's getting this. It's uh, got to be right. It's, it's like a thirty for a, thirty, uh, forty part series. Yeah, you'll see a push out probably ESPN Plus and possibly Disney Plus both getting a piece of it. Yeah. You know, and I was thinking with baseball. Hopefully, baseball will come back. And one of the things that hasn't been announced is 
where these teams are going to play. I mean, are they going to travel from city to city? Are there going to be two hubs? I mean, there are significant baseball fields at the wide world of sports. Size-wise, I don't think they're nearly as big as a major league field. I guess the closest would be Champion Stadium, where the Braves had their spring training. But in my mind, I was actually picturing, could Disney World host Major League Soccer, NBA, and MLB? I guess that would be pretty awesome. Certainly Florida could, right? I mean, if you think about just, just the spring training sites, there's a ton of baseball fields down there. Mm-hmm. A couple and maybe a couple college facilities, and, and it wouldn't be that hard to host them all down there. Uh, Arizona's been floated, too, for the same reasons. Right. I mean, there's talk that the Blue Jays may need to open up in their Florida site. Yeah, we mentioned that, I think, last week or last yeah. episode. The, uh, the idea of the international travel actually is still restricted. So Right. That's true. One baseball note, and then we'll proceed to the the dining story, Dean, we were talking about earlier. But um, I was, I guess, when when was this? Was this October last year or November? I flew into Tampa for work. And as I was driving to my hotel, I passed the Tampa Bay Ray Stadium. It was the first time I'd ever seen it in person. And one of the things that always struck me watching games on TV that were being played in that stadium was how a Florida-based stadium can look so depressing with the gray concrete and just seemed dull. And even looking at it from the outside, it is a very non-exciting stadium. I've been to Marlins park for a Cardinals Marlins game. And I know that stadium gets kicked around a bit in the, among fans, they make fun of it. I thought it was a fun place. I really had a great time going to that stadium. Tampa Bay stadium is the exact opposite of that. It has no personality. Mike, have you been there? Twice. To Tampa yeah, I've, Bay? I, yeah. I've been there as well. What you I think you guys. On? I think you guys both know this. My my wife is a big baseball fan, um, so we I like did to not go know to, that. Oh, you know, yeah. We, yeah, we, we, same here. Same here. We like to go to games. You know, if we have a chance, like on a trip, we'll, we'll sneak in a baseball game here or there. Yeah, we tend to go to a couple minor league games every year in Connecticut, and and so she's she's grown up a baseball fan, always been a baseball fan. She literally fell asleep at a, a Tampa Bay game. <laughs> um, it was like, you know, ambient noise, the right temperature because it's indoors. They were actually playing the Yankees. We were there for a Yankee game. And, um, yeah, maybe the, maybe the margarita from the Outback stand had something to do with it. But uh, she literally felt – I mean, it was also like we were on like, I don't know, a, a nine-day Disney trip, and it was like day six or seven. So we're exhausted. You know, we had to drive over from from Disney and everything. But, yeah, literally the, the – the, the, I always joke that that field is so unexciting that my wife literally fell asleep during a game. Yeah. It's, my joke was always that, you know, having grown up on Long Island, that it is the Nassau Coliseum of baseball stadium. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've never been to Nassau Coliseum, but I know exactly what you're talking about. You know the impression I'm giving, and that's, you know, sure. we can, move, we can yep. move on to dining on that one. Well, before we do that, I, uh, so both of your wives are baseball fans. My wife is not a baseball fan, and I remember – at one point, putting on the Armando Benitez-Tito Martinez fight <laughs> years ago and thinking to myself, I wonder how she would react to this, and there was no reaction at all. <laughs> but really? That's a great fight, by the way. That was an epic, epic fight. Yeah. Remember, I remember Lloyd, watching that live. Wasn't Graham Lloyd highly involved in that fight? He was. He was wearing a jacket, and he came in, I think, from the bullpen. It was swinging his arms. <laughs> I mean, I've always said that if I was involved in – if I was a player – in any sport and a fight broke out, I would, I would run away. I would, <laughs> I would flee the stadium because I couldn't last at all. You're pulling an A-Rod Jeter, uh, sitting back eating popcorn, laughing with each other while that's your right. teammates fight. That's right. It's the so way I know, respond Gra- to this Twitter. It's the same thing. I just look <laughs> the other way. That's pretty much what I do. Uh, no, Gra- Graham Lloyd reminds me that the, the 98 Yankees are in a recent article about, uh, Joe Torre feeling they get ignored 
for uh, how well they did. And, you know, especially with the whole new 30 for 30 that came out on the uh, home run chase. Right. And that team was uh, not only a quality baseball team, but they had some real quality fighters in that those not, not maybe 98 as much as 96, but those, mm-hmm. those mid to late 90 Yankees teams were not a team you wanted to fight. And that bullpen with Graham Lloyd out there was right. a bullpen that would sprint in and look for the brawl. It was fantastic. Yeah. Great days, great times. Well, anyhow, uh, for I guess this will be – there's uh, two more stories I wanted to cover. One I'll just mention real quick, which is the announcement that Gideon's Bakery is coming to Disney Springs. And I just wanted to mention that because I could tell you I am a huge fan of their cookies. They're known for their, their cookies. The average cookie that's made there weighs half a pound, and it's not an exaggeration. I remember I was at a conference in Orlando and my brother was keeping me company in Orlando and I'm in this huge conference hall and then he sneaks into the conference hall and he puts down a Gideon's cookie right next to me. It was the first time I ever had it. I've never tasted anything like it. And a friend of mine that lives down in the Orlando area actually sent to me as a surprise gift several Gideon's chocolate chip cookies. These are the best cookies I've ever had. I've really to me, this leads to some very complicated decision-making for future Disney Springs evenings about where you're going to get dessert. Are you going to go to Ghirardelli, or are you going to go to Gideon's, the Gelato Place, Amaretts? Gideon's um, co- I'm Googling this. Gideon's Cookies. Yes. Uh, growing Ample Hills is moving into, get into Disney Springs as well. Ample Hills. And then, of course, if you're at a place like the Boathouse, which I've been many times, I've never had their baked Alaska, but that's obviously a signature dessert. So if you're at Bait Boathouse, you got to get dessert right there. Yeah. Do you see the cookies, Dan? I do. I do. They, they got other stuff, too. Wow. Yeah. The Rocky oh. Road cookies looking pretty awesome. Yes. So anyhow, I don't know how I thought, they get that many chips to stick to a chocolate chip cookie. I can't figure that out. I keep staring it, at it and thinking this is an abnormal fact of science. It is Gideon'sBakehouse.com. That's G-I-D-E-O-N-S Bakehouse.com. So neither one of you guys has tried one of their cookies before. No. I have not, but I can put items in my basket right now. So uh, after we're done, I think I'm going to be placing a couple orders. So they used to sell these Gideon's cookies at the Polite Pig in Disney Springs. They would be put out twice a day, and the line would form before the cookies were put put out for sale. And they would sell out in about 10 minutes each time, two times a day. Uh, Now – since Gideon's is opening up its own location, they're no longer selling their cookies at the Polite Pig, but the Polite Pig announced they're going to be selling a bourbon chocolate chip cookie, which sounds amazing. So, something else. Yeah. Well, Gideon's only been around three years. Three years? I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, they opened three years ago on a budget of $800 with a single employee. There you go. And now they're going to have a store in Disney Springs. That's fantastic for that's, them. That's amazing. It's a testament to how good their stuff must be, too. Yeah, it's awesome. I can't wait for you guys to try it and let me know your thoughts. And that takes us to our last news story of the evening. And uh, I don't want to get any of the details wrong. Uh, Dean, we were talking about it earlier. So why don't you uh, make the announcement here on about what the story is? Yeah, so the uh, the the news is, um, I think it's legitimate, but it's a little bit uh, sort of circumstantial in that people are reading a little bit of the tea leaves on some of the other announcements. This is not a direct Disney announcement. But it is based on one of their local unions and the callback for employees. So, you know, as everybody knows, there's a lot of furlough going on. A lot of people have been without jobs because this has been closed for so long. They are now making the call out to get employees back to work. 
And so folks online and, and news sources have gotten their hands on some of that information as far as what resorts have been called back, what restaurants have been called back, that kind of stuff. So a couple of the restaurants that have been called back are uh, buffet restaurants. And noted with the announcement of those being called back is the fact that these buffet restaurants, and uh, specifically I'm talking about uh, Chef Mickey's and Beer Garden, are going to come back as family-style restaurants. Mm -hmm. And if you think family-style, if you've been to Ohana or you've been to Garden Grill, uh, Akershus Breakfast, I've never been there for dinner, but certainly their breakfast is a a partial family-style meal. And this means that they bring a tray of food to your table and your family shares off of that tray, as opposed to the traditional buffet, you go up and do your own plating. So obviously with concerns about health health issues and germs and coronavirus, the concept is going to shift. And I think this may be true for ultimately all the buffets down at Walt Disney World, um, that you are no longer going to have the go up and serve yourself. I could see maybe going up and having serving stations. You get that at some casino buffets. You don't actually handle the spoon and scoop the food yourself. You point and they scoop for you. Right. Uh, but for now, at least, you're going to see uh, buffets, and, and these two in particular have been announced as coming back as family style. Of note, uh, Crystal Palace and Tusker House were not on the list, among others, of uh, buffet restaurants that have been have not yet been called back. The other thing I'll point out is that the restaurants I'm talking about are traditionally character restaurants, and uh, well, not Beer Garden as much, but Chef Mickey's and um, Crystal Palace and Tusker House, and to date. The only character experience you're going to have at a meal is that Topolino. So mm-hmm. these have not been announced as being coming back as character buffet, uh, character dining. Uh, but they will not be buffets. They will be family-style meal, which is still all you care to eat. It's just pre-plated and brought to your table as opposed to going up and serving yourself. Mm-hmm. My father-in-law somewhere is applauding loudly. He is not a fan of buffets for the exact germ reasons that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So he is much happier at a place like Ohana with, uh, with family-style. Does this change it for you guys at all? Or for, first of all, are you either of you fans of those restaurants that I cited? Um, Chef Mickey's gonna, and yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Chef Mickey's. Just more for the design layout and not the food or the characters. You know, like the the restaurant, the design. God forbid the restrooms. If you have to take a child down to the restroom, we got about three flights of stairs to go down. Um, but itself is is just not that appealing of a, a restaurant. I do like the family style better. I have to say Garden Grill is one of my favorite restaurants on property in a park. um, I don't know if it changes whether I'm going to go to one of these. Now, I guess it would have to be whether we were probably brain first timers with young children that eventually we'd possibly get a character meal, but I can't see attending any one of them really off the bat other than maybe, you know, do we get to go back to the old artist point now without a character meal, you know, but that was, you know, that was, that was one where it was a, I believe it was a traditional menu that was turned into a family style almost, that's right. you, know, you know, as opposed to a buffet that's going to family style, but I'm in favor of the going to the, the family style. How about you, Scott? So I, um, I've been to Chef Mickey's probably about two years ago. I did not like it. I, um, I agree with you, Mike, about the bathroom situation. It's not ideal. And I didn't think the food was very good at all, actually. I, I, I really didn't enjoy my meal. Um, so I, I have never, when I've planned Disney World trips since then, I've never even considered Chef Mickey's as an option. 
Now, in terms of some of the other places that were mentioned, I know, Dean, you said Tusker House wasn't called back. I've been to Tusker House. I thought it was a very good meal. I was there for breakfast. I enjoyed that tremendously. But I'm not sure I would have gone there for a non-character meal. In my mind, I associate all these places with character meals. So depending on what the price point of these experiences are, I'm not sure I would pay for that. Um, I even to, I know this may be controversial, but I went to Ohana on my last trip for breakfast, and I didn't like it that much. I know people love Ohana, and I certainly love spending time at the Polynesian. But even there, I wasn't that into it. I, I've definitely become way more sensitive to germs in general with everything going on <laughs> in the world. So the thought of going to a buffet at this point is not the top of my list. Uh, if I was to go to a buffet, I would much quicker go to Boma over in Animal Kingdom for a buffet than Chef Mickey's for no reason other than the fact that in my mind, I think of it as less trafficked, which is probably ridiculous. Cause no, I think you're probably right about that. It's better food too. Uh, yeah. What about beer garden? Cause that's the, right uh, now. Chef Mickey's and beer garden are the two that have been called out, called out. Have you guys, either of you been to beer garden? I was there uh, last year and I thought it was a fun evening in the sense that it's a cool themed location, but I'll offer two negatives about it. One I really did, personally speaking, didn't like the idea of sharing my table with people I didn't know. Uh, even though they were nice, and I, that's, that's what they do there. They, if you, I went with my brother, and they put the two of us at a table with random people. Yeah, I just it's, it's didn't very wanna, much, you know, they're going for that beer hall type style, so right, they're going to yeah. seat you down, they're going to seat people right next to you. Think of it kind of like a cruise on land. You, know, you never know who you're going to yeah. get seated with at a cruise. That's true. And the other thing I was going to say about beer garden is, I personally didn't think it was worth the money I spent. I thought it was overpriced for the quality of the food. Uh, it wasn't bad. I enjoyed my meal. I definitely had a wonderful evening just being at Epcot. It's just not a go-to place for me on future trips. That's my recent experience with it. Yeah, My, my question on Beer Garden in this style is, are, are they going to give you some sort of a menu to pick from of the items that they you want them to bring over or are they going to pare down the offerings? Cause one of the reasons I like beer garden and I had to bring it up a, cause it made the article, but B cause I think it's Paul's favorite restaurant at Walt Disney world. Oh, um, he, he likes the German. He's got a German place near him and, and he loves yeah. talking about German food. And I, I like German food too. So, um, I'm, I would go back to beer garden, but I'm, I'm one of the reasons I liked beer garden in its old format was because it was a buffet. So I could try a bunch of different things. I could sample across different items. I I'm curious about how the family style limits, what they're actually bringing out to you. Certainly better for the restaurant. They will have less waste. It should, it should drive their cost down. I don't think it'll drive the cost down. <laughs> yeah. What's that Mike? I said, I was thinking about that. I'm wondering if it was going to save the restaurant's money from wasted food. If they could, sort of corral because i remember scott like you we we went to ohana i think it was the first time as a family last year last mm -hmm. last year in april able to staying at the polynesian got a reservation at ohana thinking i've done it got the reservation and the reservation sat down for dinner and wasn't the greatest experience really yeah. you know like i like oh my i think i wanted to like it even more than i actually liked it you know, right you know, I can't say I'd be in a, a, a rush to go to go back there, but you know, I'm I'm thinking about the that food setup. They're looking like they were really controlling the amount of, you know, each of the meats or each of the noodles or whatever they wanted to bring to us. They were they weren't going to waste food by by bringing too much food too quickly to the table. Mm -hmm. 
and have it wasted. Right. When you went there for dinner, do they give you that pineapple bread when you walk in? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Scott, I will say that I had my own pineapple in hand when I walked in. (laughs) Not quite sure if I recollect the pineapple bread at that point. Right. Call that doing it right. That's the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, we we actually for for many years in a row we went to Ohana as our um, our business meeting for the travel agency. I'd, so I'd meet up with my uh, co-owners, and uh, it just happened to be that we were vacationing in in July at the same time. So like, hey, this is fantastic. And I I'll say, Ohana twenty fifteen is like a maybe a number two, number three seed in the uh, in the tournament. Ohana twenty nineteen is probably maybe maybe in the play in game. It, it right. really has come down, I think, a little bit in its ability. It's a, the food okay. isn't as fresh as it used to be. Uh, I think the service is a, a little bit more canned of of get you in, get you out. It's a little less personable, and yeah. the experience is a little bit more canned. So, uh, you know, might be uh, might be my hot take for the day. Maybe I'm, I'm yeah, you know, I should be responding to some of those Twitter posts about what's your Disney unpopular opinion. But uh, I was thinking maybe, about that when we maybe were among these, the, the, at least those on the podcast right now, I think we're in agreement that Ohana yeah, isn't exactly. as great as it used to be. It lines up exactly what we, we experienced last year. Yeah, you know what it is? Here's the interesting thing about Disney trip planning. You know, Ohana is a very expensive restaurant. And somebody that's thinking of going there needs to make a decision. Well, do I want to spend my money at Ohana knowing what we know about it now? Or do we want to try to go to the Boathouse or Homecoming or any of those Disney Springs restaurants? And then even if you want to stick to the hotels, to me, I'd rather go to some of the places at Grand Floridian, yes. uh, California Grill over yes. at the Contemporary. For, you know, we're, we're talking about a similar price point. And yeah. that's kind of what goes into trip planning for the nicer meals on somebody's vacation. Go to Kona. Yeah, I was, I mean, you're, given you're right day, there. <laughs> I would say for this trip coming up, we're staying in, like I said, the Wilderness Lodge for yeah. the holiday trip. My eyes are probably on Kona, Whispering Canyon, possibly. You know, if we're going to go for something fun and amusing, um, California Grill, Citricoast has always been a, a a family favorite of ours. Just sure. you know, somewhere easy to get in and and somewhat nice. Mike, if you go to Kona for breakfast, uh, one of the things that I like doing there is, I mean, like Tonga Toast is amazing. Macadamia nut pancakes are great. They happen to have this uh, breakfast dish. It's called, I think it's called the Polynesian platter or something like that. And it's standard. It's kind of eggs, bacon, and potatoes. But what they also give you is a Mickey-shaped coffee crumb cake that's out of this world good. So I do that. And then if you don't get that, there is a coffee bar right outside the restaurant, and I think they sell those cakes okay. there. So you can get like a Kona iced coffee and a, one of those cakes to go. It's awesome. Yeah. I can't. Right. I, now I wish I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Everything I said about not going right away now goes yeah. out the window. <laughs> you're, not, you're not going for a vacation. You're just going to sweep in, grab some food, and, and right. come back. Yeah. That's curbside. right. Curbside. Curbside Kona. Curbside, yeah. I'd go there just for the coffee. Yeah, the coffee's awesome. Um, but guys, any other news stories you wanted to cover tonight? Because I think we're no, starting to go. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. No, I was going to say I, I know we're ahead long, but the uh, twist off that I did see that they're doing mobile check-in now at a lot of the restaurants. At so a lot of the restaurants. Having okay. to go to the hostess stand, that you will go to, you know, you'll go to either 
the app on your phone or to a kiosk and sort of check yourself in. You know, and I wonder, does, does this remove us ever having to hear the words, is everyone from your party here? Right. <laughs> They'll ask it on the screen when you go to check in. Uh, you know what? I, I, you're right. I shouldn't put it past them. Yeah. Yes, everyone in my party is here. The, the, the one other note I'll give you, Scott, and I can't remember if we talked about this pre-show, is I did read, and again, still speculation, nothing official from Disney, that Be Our Guest Restaurant, the callback for their service staff was for dinner only. Oh. And so the quick serve version breakfast lunch, as of right now, is speculated not to be reopening when the park reopens. It makes sense yeah. with everything else we're talking about. Well, that place is chaos. But, yeah, I mean, when, you think about you, it, a lot. Of, a lot of the callbacks that we've seen have been for hotel restaurants as opposed to park restaurants. The more time you spend in hotel restaurants, it's the less time you're crowding the park. You know, so it, you could give yourself more space in the park by funneling people into more resort restaurants. Well, I, you, I don't know if this is yeah. an unpopular opinion or not, but I, I generally prefer the hotel restaurants over the park restaurants. I just think they're better quality food, better experience. I'm pretty sure that was in our conversation that night at Cruise Comfort. I, I believe it was. So I'm not, at least I'm consistent, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> now, I generally do agree with that statement from my experiences. Um, also, logistically easier. There's been times where I've had, let's yes. say, a dinner reservation at Via Napoli, and I'll enter Epcot at Future World in the humidity of an August day. <laughs> and by the time I make my way over to Via Napoli, I'm drenched in sweat. So, and that's, that's one of the lessons I learned a couple trips ago, which is that you need to plan logistically for when you get to the parks in terms of where your dinner locations are, because you you just got to plan accordingly. Speaking of restaurants that have come down in quality. Via Napoli? I like Via Napoli. Oh man. Via Napoli 2018 is not as good as Via Napoli 2013. Via Napoli 2018 are the Warriors. (laughs) Via Napoli 2020 (laughs) are the Knicks deal. (laughs) They haven't fallen quite to, quite to the Knicks, but they, they'd probably be staying at Yacht Club. I'll, tell, I'll put it that way. <laughs> oh, they're, they're not invited that, to Grand Destino. <laughs> that dump? No. <laughs> it's funny, the reaction to these NBA. I'll never get tired of that. Um, anyhow, guys, I think that takes us through the news highlights tonight. Um, wanted to thank you guys for coming on and doing this. A lot of fun as always. Mike, so glad you were able to join us for the first time on the pod. We can't wait to have you back. Thank you, sir. Yeah, good to talk to you again, Mike. It was great. Thanks. Dean, great to have you on again, as always. Much and, appreciated, Scott. And before we wrap up, let me give you both the opportunity to tell our listeners where they can find you online. Dean, start with you. Sure. I am uh, CT underscore Mickey underscore man on Twitter. I don't really do Facebook. I do have Instagram on my phone. That's about as far as that goes. Uh, but if you want to look me up on my podcast, you can contact us at Butter and Bacon uh, on Twitter, uh, Butter and Bacon Podcast, I think, on Instagram. I'm probably completely ruining this, and Paul's yelling at his microphone. So go back to the last three news uh, news episodes we did with Scott and get the right contacts, uh, or just go to my Twitter handle that I actually know and look me up from there. But uh, we have recorded a couple shows. They'll be coming out soon, and uh, you know we, we try to do a little bit more evergreen when it comes to Disney topics, so that's why I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk more about breaking news, because uh, anything Disney conversation is fun to me, so Absolutely. look me up on Twitter. Mike? Uh, as far as podcasts go, I could say I've only had the benefit of being on the Live Draft podcast for the Butter and Bacon League. 
and you can find me on Twitter talking you know, Yankees and sports for the most part at Adam Scopa. You know, for on the Disney side, it's at Disney Perspective. You, know, you can hear most of the interaction with his Twitter on, on that on that side. But uh, guys, I wish everybody well, and to all our listeners, stay well and stay healthy. Let's go around the table one more time. I'm Scott, and I am Dean, and I am Mike, and this has been the Stuff We Love podcast. <laughs>